Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Joel, happy November, November 1st. Yeah. 55 days away from Christmas. That's what my son told me first thing this morning. As soon as Halloween crosses, it's Christmas time, baby. Honestly, it's not supposed to start until the 12th. I agree. I'm going to put I'm going to get the uh, lights up this week. Obviously, in Alberta, we you know we got to take advantage yeah. of before the second snow hits to get those lights up. <laughs> yeah. Cuz the second snow isn't leaving. No, it's not. And I'm surprised this one even got away from us. But um I had to lay the lay down the law at my house. Hmm. There's no Christmas until the 12th. It doesn't. I agreed. No tree up, no decorations, no nothing. Yeah. We got something else important to first recognize. That's right. And I'm not, I'm happy to do the labor, but it's not until the 12th. <laughs> so that's, that's what's going on in my house. And actually, since my current house situation, I'm probably going to have to go and set up some lights at my, my other place. Since I wasn't living there. You know what? Yeah, you can't be the like the new guy that moves in, but isn't in there, but then doesn't have the festive stuff. Because like, right. what if you have 86 houses around you that are all going balls to the wall? Yeah. So last <laughs> night, um, my house was, for whatever reason, it seems as though Glenora gets a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. It must have been like 150 kids because my camera was going off. And, and how many eggs are on the window? <laughs> yeah, probably less than I deserve, for sure. Um, but yeah, Christmas lights will definitely have to go up. I'm going to get those ones that shine onto the house. I have. I was lucky. Wow, okay. The house I bought, they already had them set up. I never put you as a light on the house guy, but I'll reserve judgment until I see it on the house, but that's a big decision. <laughs> Some people put them in the fascia, and it looks decent this will be better Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's fair i i feel like there is two distinct dad groups when it comes to that there's get on the ladder guy Mm -hmm. who i'm like halfway in between because i refuse to get on a ladder on the roof to get the peaks right so i mean it's a really tough decision like we're breaking down some there's no way deep stuff here your child would be okay with you going on the ladder no he would be like daddy get down that's ridiculous (laughs) why would you take he's doing a risk calculation he's he's essentially uh, working for Aon at this point. Honestly, <laughs> if that kid isn't an actuary, he's in the wrong business. So, um, I had a decent Halloween. I'm always excited to see. Uh, we went to a younger neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it was pretty impressive. Some of the setups, some of the families put out. I don't know where they get the time, but or the money to get all these things. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I do. I the really consumer is still alive when it comes to tricking out someone's house yeah it's always the oil and gas business owner dad 
who's just sold, who has the greatest house. Because <laughs> he's got the time. Yeah, the best ability is availability. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, moving on, I want to get into what is, I think, going to be a really important market update. I'm just gonna... kind of a dog, just a lead thing. I know you have a bunch of points here. Like, I mean, outside of all of the turmoil that we currently have. <sighs> yeah. Is there like, what's what's the general sentiment usually heading into November for you? Well, we just went through the dog days of summer, which is always the worst performing months. Mm-hmm. Um, JC Peretz had something out this morning in, in, one of, in his email update where he said that the Dow Jones in its, if you were to put $10,000 in it at the beginning, you'd have like 11 million bucks or something like that. Um, obviously, that was over 100 years ago, so who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but Great inter- tweet, thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> but he mentioned or made mention that of the returns are between November and April, Mm. which is interesting. It is. I've never been a huge seasonality person. I've always felt that I prefer the presidential election um, seasonality over Mm -hmm. literal seasons. However, there is this, this idea of the Santa Claus rally and people start to pick up sentiment wise because they've gotten their kids in school. Um, I mean, hockey's only making them a little miserable or sports. Um, <laughs> the house is finally clean and set up for winter. You've, you've gotten through the challenging part of a really crazy busy summer. You're back to your normal routine mm-hmm. and you're getting prepped for the best season. And that leads to people spending. And if we're one thing, and I think that this is one item that is always missed in every economic view of North America, it's that we are consuming nation or whatever continent um it's different than every other part of the world it's literally ingrained into our culture where we consume and buy things we aren't savers we're purchasers of goods and that is our our our, it's it's cathartic to us almost and that is why we're so robust as a as an economy Mm. so with that in mind heading into the biggest purchasing season you have I mean, you have Amazon Prime Day or you have Black Friday, you have Christmas, you have um, <clears throat> Boxing Day. And all of these instances demand us to spend. Could it happen where we were all out of money? There's a lot of anecdotal scenarios that I'm reading on Twitter where people are like, I'm hearing this business is having the worst volume in mm-hmm. a decade. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing that they're really concerned about inventory because they've purchased too much going into the season. Right. I'm hearing a lot of that on Twitter. And that obviously per- like perks my ears up and I'm, I'm, I'm worried because you go and you look at the most recent um, report from Scotia and the guy's bullish. You look at the most recent report from BMO, the guy's bullish. You look at the most re- recent um, quarterly call from JP Morgan and he's only talking about geopolitical risks. And it's not about what really matters and that's people spending. I, I, I find myself in this challenging position where we're not way overvalued on the, from an equity perspective at 22 times for, um, trailing 12-month earnings. But in Canada, we're only trading at 15 or 16 times trailing 12-month earnings. That's historically very cheap. So I find myself in a position where I can now go and buy fixed income for clients and it's a great return. Mm. I can get paid to sit on the sidelines with no risk whatsoever. And I can also start to find pockets, especially Canada, 
where there's great value. I believe that we're getting to a position where Canadian banks are now a great place to be. Um, it sounds ridiculous because there's always these mortgage guys on Twitter or in whatever you're reading, but they're talking about how the Canadian banks are going to... How many delinquencies there are yeah, exactly. embedded in there. And so, yeah. Yep. And yep. a lot of those delinquencies will be covered by CMHC. But um, with that said, that's still a huge... They're, they're underwater on all of those loans, but they're coming up for re renewal. That's a fun, That's a, a protection function on the bank's balance sheet because the it's the lender or the, sorry, the borrower that's in deep caca because they are going to have to go and find new fund, uh, financing. Mm -hmm. It's not like the bank now owns this this property that they lent at 3% and they're borrowing at 6 Canadian banks have this unique ability to reset their yield curve that other can, American banks don't have. So it's the reason why they maintain the 30-plus percent as a percentage of our, our um, market or market cap. And they continue to be super profitable. It's because they're protected and then they have the best way of, of selling products into our, mm -hmm. our population. So I, yeah, mean, I think, I think the concern, I mean, again, anecdotal, I think what I've maybe had my ears perk up a little bit more eyebrows raised is like the other loans. So like talking about like, we talked about vehicle loans, I think last mm -hmm. week was it. And the, Good the, God. The amount of and it, that was from the American perspective, I think, yeah. on the, on the kind of tweet thread that we went through. I think it's just as bad here, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. So, like, I mean, the loans for for <laughs> the old depreciating asset and lines of credit attached to you know home values that are potentially on the on the decline uh, in in you know certain sections not of province. not in this province. Yeah, Alberta advantage. Um, <laughs> But just, just that, that's what I think maybe perks my interest a bit more. And, and it's so hard. Like that data, I think, is um, usually the evidence area is, is anecdotal until something really hits the fan mm -hmm. because that's not the same. Like the reportable side of those things is not quite the not, not quite talked about the same way that, that mortgages are. And, yeah, and, 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 and the big part of the, of the balance sheets of, of some of these banks. And, and what we're, I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Mm -hmm. um, this so, afternoon, something inevitably crazy will happen um, before we publish this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're on a run of about six weeks where we've said something, and then um, an answer to our question or uh, a beatdown of our opinion happens within 24 hours. So <laughs> it's yeah, we're and we're proven immediately wrong. Um, but we have what's likely to be a Federal Reserve um, policy change and or maintain of the current five and a half percent borrow rate i would venture to guess that they they hold i think that they're seeing the cracks where they need them and i was listening to this podcast on friday from the compound and they had this guy on who made this really great or had a great metaphor for what when the bank of canada and the federal reserve chairs goes and stands there and they're like all these people are pummeling them questions mm -hmm. asking them to give them an insight into when are you going to cut rates again so that we are not broke anymore <laughs> and um this the guy that was on the podcast made mention of the uh the avengers endgame where um the guy with the time stone dr strange yes dr strange, Doctor Stephen strange. Uh, apparently sees how everything actually ends mm -hmm. there's and, one scenario yeah there's one scenario where they win and he can't tell everyone because mm -hmm. if he does, it won't happen. Mm -hmm. 
And then during the fight, apparently, um, Iron Man goes I up can to reenact him. this whole scene for the camera know, for you if I want. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, the, 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 the reason why the metaphor plays so well with this, this Federal Reserve rate cut and, and Bank of Canada rate cut is because if Jerome Powell or Tiff Macklin tell us that they're going to cut rates in three months, what everything blows up and everybody <laughs> starts spending again, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they can't actually tell you how this all ends because if they do, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That is the idea. If we don't understand that, I don't even know why they keep asking. I guess it's because they have to. It's like, well, what would you think of that goal you they let in, um, <laughs> Stu? Well, of course he's not happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the same thing here. They're not going to give us the answer until they're satisfied. And when they're satisfied, something is likely broken. And mm -hmm. that is when things will get when things will be cut. And for the first time, and this is so funny because when we first started this podcast, I was always concerned about the, the, our monetary policy not having any bullets left in the chamber. Now they got 50. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. nice. For the first time in a long time, they got a ton of bullets mm -hmm. and they can solve problems, which we haven't had for almost a decade. So if we do see cracks, I think a lot of people are buoyed by the, the idea that there's going to be someone who can come to help. Right. But again, that defeats the purpose. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's I mean, a great analogy to the, our Marvel overlords. <laughs> I know. And you know what, another thing for me, and, and most people are always looking for this big, great recession. They're looking mm -hmm. for a massive buying opportunity. They want a VIX of 50 and then they'll be satisfied to put money to work. I think that we've gotten too good at maintaining the status quo with the use of monetary tools to see a 2008 again. And right. I, I could, I'm, that's probably something I'll be proven wrong on for sure. Mm. But I believe that that's partially true. And if that is true, opportunities when the VIX hits 28 to 30 to 35 is when we should be making these moves. And right now we're sitting around historical average 18 to 20. Mm. And if we, we saw 22 earlier this week, but that is, in many cases, for most people that are investing on a week-to-week -week or month-to-month -month basis, a great time to be buying. So in a long-winded way of looking at things, I'm fairly optimistic going into the end of this year that we're going to get a little bit of a rally. Um, I'm having this struggle and this conversation with a lot of people, and it's, it's a tough spot to be because we're in no man's land in a lot of ways. Right. Um, the, the earnings coming from a lot of the major companies have been um, relatively poor versus last year's numbers. Um, yeah. we're, Which if it wasn't poor, <clears throat> there's only one way to go after you get up that fast though. Yeah. yeah and we, you've talked about that before, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you cannot be expecting the same thing to happen over and over as much as, um, the definition of insanity is expecting to, you know, do the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. Yeah. I think it's, this, you can say the same for thinking that everything's going to be the same in perpetuity. <laughs> in your equity stocks. Uh, yeah. so. And that you're always going to get the same return. And like I, I find that we've had, versus the last 14 years, the last three years have been the worst. And it's hard to view yet last year as not a reignition of a new bull market. But there's lots of people out there, uh, Bob Elliott being one of my favorite people to read, mm -hmm. believes that we're at the end of a cycle. Whereas other people like JC and Andy Cohen and a lot of other people that I read believe that it was a re-beginning of a new one. Mm. And I can see the validity of, the, of both because in, on one side you have, I mean, just this crazy run of U.S. returns of 12 plus percent 
because they were so damn good during the 2010s. And then we now have this new technology that I believe is reigniting efficiency in humans with artificial intelligence and machine learning. Those things are going to improve efficiencies, they're gonna make businesses more profitable, and they're gonna make people better. And all of those things lead to better returns in every business. Um, it doesn't matter if it's labor intensive or not. So we have a new regime. I'm bullish about that. Mm -hmm. For those that are looking for, for things to, to diversify with, if you aren't owning fixed income here in gold, you are owning commodities, you're insane. It's literally under the average advisor owns less than 0.5% of those things. So That's it is under-invested yeah. in. And if you ever saw any flows from advisor-managed accounts there, you would get a massive price increase just because that's what happens when flows move. Hmm. So I'd like to move on to something much more fun okay. than markets. It's carbon <laughs> tax removal time. Ooh. Yay. Foot and mouth. <laughs> Cam, so when you saw this, did you believe it? Um, or did it not even like no, strike I, anything of being in, of interest to you? I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, this stuff is when when news headlines come out about anything government related in this country anyways, I just assume that there's going to be 14 iterations of the opinion and the take. <laughs> so I just kind of wait for the dust to settle a little bit. Yeah. Um, you and I chatted about this on the weekend, actually. And I, I think, again, anecdotally for me and you, I think if you take a step back and don't think about Alberta or Western versus Eastern and this whole kind of split that we've had with, you know, I would say, unfortunately, just that people are, we're not getting like not getting along is inevitable, but the amount, the, the amount of compromise that there's been in the past 10 to 12 years is probably not something that you would say it leads to a successful unified government or leadership across this country. And mm -hmm. so I think as a whole, for a lot of people who are not on the far right or far left, at least in the, in Canadian terms, there's a lot of people with saying like, can we just figure some middle ground out here and move forward instead of keeping to battle and pit each other against and find ways to either just reignite base and buy Like, I mean, we got an election coming up kind of soon here. So, you know, it's time to start maybe reigniting some of those ties in Atlantic Canada for our our liberal government currently. So I, I think with the, when the first headlines came out last week, I I can't say I was surprised. I was like, well, this is going to be interesting to see what the backlash is from Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, etc. But I can't say that I was, I can't say that I was surprised. No, it, I think it kind of falls in line with with what I first expected or what I, what I would expect coming out of the, out of Ottawa. What about you? Well, nothing is for certain yet. Effectively for sure. what's happened here is we've seen a, um, a rollback of the carbon tax exemption or mm -hmm. they've added an exemption on home heating for families in one part of the country. Correct. Yeah. Last so Thursday, I believe in it was Atlantic Canada, which yeah. has a overwhelming, um, bias towards, heating oils which mm -hmm. for those that don't know the price of heating oil has gone absolutely nuclear through the roof yeah while as opposed to electricity and, and natural gas hasn't um, natural gas is still very cheap relatively yeah electricity i think is insane we, we were chatting on the on the weekend with some of our some of our buddies and 
<laughs> I don't know when the date was. I'm going to give you credit for saying lock into your yeah. electricity rate uh, as part of your contract if, Huge if you're able to. But but you're right. Like I mean, let's just talk about natural gas versus heating oils. Pretty dramatic difference. Huge. And um, they felt that they, since they were having, they were struggling in Atlanta, Canada, the Liberal Party, which has been a very important area for them to win for the last two elections. Especially elections. like, I mean, like we always, you know, you go through the, <laughs> the the CNN, like I always analogize that I'm forgetting that guy's name now that has the massive map and just taps into all of the <laughs> ridings and just gives you, but like, it's like those battleground areas, yeah. right? So it's like, are you going to get every riding in Atlantic Canada? No, but they obviously know that there's, Al- it's going to be a, not a battle. <laughs> Alberta's not a battleground, <laughs> but there's going to, there's going to be areas that really matter in yeah. the next 18 months for this government and their hope to retain some level of, yeah. of power. And so I, I, that that's the initial take, right? As soon as yeah. it's announced, it's like, oh, well, this is a buying votes type thing uh, as a setup for yeah. the future we, or to re- remind people that we have your back. And here's the problem with it. And this is where Trevor Toomb has done a really great job mm-hmm. um, covering this. Yeah. When you give in to your your keystone policy of the last eight years. It wasn't legalizing marijuana. It was the carbon tax. This was the the keystone of the liberal government for the last eight years. They've now effectively said and admitted to, because this has been what the Western countries or provinces have been, or I, I should say conservative premiers have been slamming the table about, is that the cost of carbon is inflationary. And that it, it's something that we need to provide our, for ourselves, for mm-hmm. our homes. We can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. And they've effectively said that putting a price on carbon is an incentive for you to use lower carbon o- other options. And then you end up actually getting more money in your pocket. That's the two sides of this, of this argument. Mm-hmm. I don't care which side you're on, actually. What they've done here now is the liberals have shot themselves in the foot. And they've effectively admitted to this being a direct tax or cost, and it doesn't add more money to the pockets mm-hmm. of people by making this exemption, tax exemption, for Atlantic Canada, mm-hmm. and then not applying it for the rest of the provinces. So this is, if you, as, as Trevor Toome says, play t- let's play chess from here. What happens when the, gives, the, the feds give, give in on heating fuels? The next request will be for an exemption for electricity generators, maybe for diesel, then gasoline. And then there will be a moment in which they end up having to cancel everything. And he's written multiple pieces now suggesting that it's this is the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. So it's a slippery slope, especially when you're talking about something that, again, even if people don't like it, whatever the when you have a unified approach to it to an entire country. You can market it to your base as being something that this is important to us and this is what we need to be doing to ensure the the longevity of our development, etc. Okay. But yeah, as soon as you start repealing things for, as you put it, only sections of the country, how are you ever going to argue the fact that this is a all-in policy? You can't. Oh, it's only going to be for a short term. Oh, it's only going to be for this. Oh, it's only going to be for that. Slippery slope. Yeah, it's... I don't even know where I land on this, and I don't think it matters. I think think Trevor's opinion piece, though, 
that he that he wrote and that we've added here. I, I, I it's really hard to argue. Well, with the, with he's just, so annoyingly right about things, <laughs> but even he puts it in a way in which he's not even showing his political bias in any. Not way, at all. No, this makes facts. me so mad because everything else we read in life. It seems like it's completely opinionated and it gives you your political bias and you're they're they're so arrogant about it. Whereas mm -hmm. he just comes across as showing the facts and um defining how the 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 psychology works and mm -hmm. how it's supposed to impact the economics and then just lays it out flat for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, damn it, Trevor. <laughs> so I yeah, I, I highly recommend people go and read um his two opinion pieces, one on capping oil and gas emissions, and then the other on um, where we're headed with the carbon tax in mm -hmm. Canada. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, I believe that it, it, yeah, the beginning of the end has begun. Um, I don't see how they can reverse this. It's, it wasn't ultra popular to begin with uh, from a, uh, I mean, in Alberta, obviously, but more specifically, just it was losing it's luster because we had such a challenging eight years economically and, and with and the, people started to notice be like, Oh yeah, it was fine when oil was 40 bucks and now it's, it's hit 125, 130. The electricity costs from my house are seven to $1,100 a month. This is, these are, these are numbers that are very challenging for people to afford. Well, and it's something that you can't, it's, you can't get away from it. Right. It's not one of those things where it's like, Oh, I can just, you know, Bye. Turn all my lights off. All like yeah, like no, you no. can't. It's going to be minus thirty. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 really hard, and yeah. I believe that this is probably yeah. It's first nail in that coffin. There's a bunch more to come, and uh, with an election, I just view obviously again. I'm not saying aside of on the political um, spectrum here, but I'm just imagining the conservative government getting in, and oh. I'm just picturing like a Trump style, like executive order thing, like just, <laughs> just signing things that, I mean, probably don't actually matter don't and they can't actually do it. Orders. I know, but that's what I want to see is like repeal, repeal. <laughs> There'll be just 48 things over 48 days. I don't even think they're going to give them the satisfaction. I think it'll be gone by then. Yeah. So I mean, re yeah, again, reading that piece, it's really hard to argue that um, that's not where it ends up. Yeah. So, and the, the, the current approval rating for the liberal party and uh, where people are likely going to vote, it is an absolute wrecking ball at the moment. It is terrible. Yeah, and that's probably what their focus is mainly right now is how do we rebound rebound, and get back to The sad thing that... is, is I'm not sure they have a chance anymore. I think it's long past possible. But <sighs> crazier you know things a have year happened. in politics is a long time. It's a time. long it's a time, yep. Um, so I don't know. Um, Cam, I wanted to talk about Netflix really quick. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> Netflix just had its most recent quarter. They got 247 million paying households. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would also like to make the, the statement that Netflix has won. And I listened to a podcast Officially. Recently yep. where somebody mentioned the idea of monoculture returning. So let's discuss monoculture. Okay. Educate me. I don't think I need to. I think you know what it is. But the idea is, is that over the last, I don't know, year plus, we've been talking about the, this mirror fracturing where everyone finds themselves in these weird quadrants of, mm -hmm. of life where there's no overlap of the things that we're reading, writing, and watching. And I believe that Netflix has the single most or single largest impact on a returning monoculture. 
Mm. Because there's unlimited things to watch on there. But alternative, you have this like 10 show recommendation. Yeah. That might as well be the first 10 channels on your old um, <laughs> cable box, right? right? Yeah. That's what everyone watches. Suits was repurchased and re, um, let's, relaunched on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it is the number one TV show of all time now, <laughs> effectively. They resurrected a show that is, I mean, pretty good. I think it hits well with. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, It's like not yeah. bad. The yeah. first four seasons are decent. And then mm-hmm. the rest is, okay, I saw this episode. Yeah, assuming Harvey and Mike get mad at each other. Let's go. <laughs> Mike wants to do something good. <laughs> Harvey does it. It is funny, though, like that you say that. Like, I, I agree. Obviously, you can work to... Or I should say that Netflix makes it actually very easy for you to dive in and find something based on your likes. Like, obviously, it curates based off of other things that you watch, etc. But, I mean, yeah, you can't... Everyone always gravitates. And I, I again, anecdotally here said that word about 17 times today, but I feel like people always gravitate to something that is some kind of, has some kind of popular aspect to it, whether it be for conversation or comfort level. Like, I mean, the office is like the biggest example of this. I think it maybe got pulled on some net, like on some offerings of Netflix. I feel like it's off on us just because I think with Peacock having their streaming service, and probably having some sort of right still over the distribution there. I think they eventually pulled it from, I think it's still in Canada, but anyways, like that, that's like the, if you talk to anybody, even like younger generation, it's like they've now got into the office because of Netflix. or they've gotten into Grey's Anatomy, another longstanding show or suits or whatever yeah. it might be. And it's like, it's just that, like that little comfort blanket piece that, that people go to. And like you said, it's like when it's just, Hey, these are the top 10 things that are being streamed in your country or this month or whatever it is. It's a pretty amazing way to, I guess, get back to that monoculture in terms of certain entertainment being consumed. So I, I have to re, uh, have to fix what I had said earlier. Nep- Suits is not the most watched show <laughs> of all like, time, please tell but me. <laughs> it's now in the like top five of the most watched. Um, That's TV pretty shows impressive of yeah. our era. Apparently, Made in Canada Suits too. is the first show they've measured that has gotten three billion minutes of watch time every single week for the, for seven weeks in a row, bringing it to twenty six point five billion minutes across an eight week total. Wow, that is a lot of mins. I'd be very interested to know, like, what does that break like in terms of like the, uh, you always thought about um, like Seinfeld and Friends and like the 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 reruns and the money that actors would make in terms of the their their rerun agreement i guess after the show is done yeah so I, I think on like um i always think of like on entourage where like andrew dice clay is <laughs> depositing like seven dollar <laughs> checks for <laughs> for his like his um i'm forgetting the word of, of whatever the pay would be residuals. but residuals yeah there you go exactly so um i'd be very interested to see like what like what's maybe maybe rachel or um I'm forgetting her name too, her real name, the Duchess of. No, no, no. She's whatever just a she California now. resident now. Not just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the, yeah, like, what does those residuals look like with all of this return to fame or like even way bigger than they were in their, in their prime when the show was actually releasing? Yeah. I, I mean, interestingly, 
And or is it just lining the pockets about. of... The residuals <laughs> thing is great. They're making money. It's awesome. What I believe is most impactful here and what I think makes this so important to understand because I, it's of my opinion that we're in our, the final chess moves of media with sports reorganizing. So mm-hmm. over the next five years, we're going to finally have a monoculture sports location. I think Amazon likely gets it. Um, Interesting. Prediction one. Prediction two, Netflix is finally going to be able to build a, um, let's call it a, a, a list of, of shows that are owned by them mm-hmm. that also impact culture in the same way that Disney has with their, um, what do you call them? Their, their, their ideas that they got there. Like Mickey and they got Avengers. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. they have their all brands. Their brands, yeah. 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 I believe that Netflix can now, with their strength and their their subscriber list, mm-hmm. is able to add products like suits, and then after it being this successful, be like, mm, looks like we're going to have a Lewis Lit season ten, right? Or maybe you are now going and you're going to follow Mike and Rachel in in yeah, like create in the buzz from something, and then you got yeah. the, you so got the spinoffs. Re- they can yeah. start to do spinoffs, and yeah. this is a really powerful tool. But additionally, being able to to re engage everyone around one show is something that we were able to do in the past that was really healthy for most of our culture. I think, mm-hmm. and from my perspective, I think that a returning of a monoculture is a good thing because it brings us back together in a way that we've been like largely fractured because of social media and our, our, we've been trying to find something where we can all show up on. And maybe mm-hmm. we don't, but I believe that Netflix can accomplish this, along with Disney, uh, find this, this position in the marketplace where they're becoming the new cable box mm-hmm. and a, a team teaming up of Amazon, Netflix, and Disney, I believe is the end game of all of this. Mm. Amazon's going to own all of sports along with probably with YouTube to an extent. Um, and if we don't see ESPN somehow gather all of the sports rights, mm-hmm. it has to go to one of the big media pr- providers. Yeah. Because no one else has the money. Yeah. No and, one. And are you talking, uh, just to, sorry to cut you off, but like, are you talking like from the national sense? Yeah. So everything that you would have normal, like Monday night football and Wednesday night hockey and whatever it might be is all going to be like the marquee stuff is all going to be streamed that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I agree. I, I actually, I, the I do. NBA, the NHL and the MLB have to get together. If they don't. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They're in deep trouble because at least they have um, league or seasonal, no seasonal overlap problems, right? The reason why the NBA demands a higher um, price is because they have content during the summer when the NFL isn't on, right? The, the MLB, MLB sorry. Yeah. No, but they both do. Yeah. I mean, the NHL is also in that camp. Yeah. Unfortunately, they have a lot of overlap with the NBA. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have the MLB, what would you have in the summer? Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have golf, I suppose. Well, but I think that's also the that's also the the way that they are, that the sports landscape is changing is because like you've seen the NBA change from being a eight month sport to a 10 month sport to essentially owning a part of the news cycle for 12 months now, the same as the NFL does. And it's creating those additional events. Like they're doing, you know, summer league, like that's literally on, like if you go on Sportsnet in the summer, the summer league development is on TV and you can follow the, 
like every hot take, wake up, first take, whatever, pardon my take, whatever it's going to be, is talking about that sport for 12 months now. And I feel like that's actually part of it too, where, where with a, again, bundled streaming service, everyone pulling in the same direction, I feel like you can have that constant 24-hour news cycle that the NFL has developed, built themselves essentially. But you, I, I agree with you. I, I can see the aggregation of all of that being in one spot. And I mean, Amazon's not a bad bet for sure. I think probably in a combination, maybe one. I think they can justify it. That's why they're going to do it. True. Yeah, exactly. Because they, you acquire every customer that wants to watch sports. You don't even care if you make money on that. What mm-hmm. you want is them to be inside of your ecosystem buying things off yeah, of you. Yeah, 100%. They, they have the ability to deliver things at a zero cost or, mm-hmm. sorry, um, zero marginal imp- improvement mm-hmm. to their current bottom line because they have so many other business lines they can sell into. Mm-hmm. It's, it's harder to justify for Apple. Yeah. It's harder to justify even for Facebook. Mm-hmm. It likely is between them and Google and YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. The existing or... I think as yeah, part of the eco what they would want to institute into their ecosystem, I think you're right. That probably makes the most sense. And I and I my other my prediction would be that we're gonna see in five years from a regional perspective, we talked about the regional sport, the death of the regional sports network and just how that landscape is changing. I'm gonna I'm predicting that there's going to be a lot more organizations that are doing their own media distribution as well. They have to. And that's how we're gonna be Again, probably wallet spend wise, it's going to be higher than what our cable. Used oh, to be. sports people have been lucky because everyone who doesn't watch sports pays for sports. Mm-hmm. And once they don't have to anymore, sports people have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. They have to come up with the money. Mm-hmm. You think Connor McDavid is going to take a pay cut so that your cost of, of watching sports stays the same? He's been Doubt taking, it. He's been taking a discount for eight years already. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he's not going to continue. So heading into the last topic here, Cam, on Twitter, I've been reading a lot about this. There's a vibe shift. Mm. I watched last night quite a few shows. Um, Elon Musk was on with Joe Rogan, which was interesting. You don't say. They were both wearing Halloween costumes. I also watched Bill Maher and um, Scott Galloway was on Bill Maher Mm. and some other lady and the old mayor of New York or governor of New York who got booted because he sexual harassment he was on there uh como <laughs> yeah, Co- yeah. Uh, andrew yeah so the common theme amongst all of this content i was consuming along with barry weiss's twitter thread here mm-hmm. is that woke is dead mm. which is interesting so a vibe shift and awakening from woke a political realignment and this is all the way from the crappy all-in podcast who's now announced it as being dead to uh, even Bill Maher picking it up and Elon talking about it. But the right has effectively said that they are claiming victory over wokeism. <laughs> yeah. And Elon had the most interesting view on this, and he thinks that his purchase of Twitter is the reasoning for it, which, fine, whatever, man. You can take it. The battle <laughs> has been going on for a decade. But mm-hmm. um, interestingly, he came at it from the reason why I bought Twitter was because it was San, it was in um, Berkeley, San Francisco. Berkeley, San Francisco is the most left leaning portion of America, and that's the reason why it was successful. Or sorry, it was impacting the globe so much. Mm-hmm. It was injecting leftism into the entire planet, which is like 
annoying that he has these this ability to argue for something that almost seems indisputable. It's he's quite tactical that way. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think you can necessarily disagree with disag- that. I, it, separate the opinions of the people. Literally everything in life has some kind of bias built into totally. it. Totally. And I feel you have to understand that. You can't... I don't think it's something that you can... I think maybe on the Twitter stages, maybe something that it's like, you've built this community, you've built this platform that is extremely influential on people's thought process or how people spend their time and how they look into things. And I think it's more of the questions like, should we have... Like, I guess my question as a small entertainment user and very like I use 5% of Twitter for probably what it's should be used for, but it's like, should we have something like this? Is it too big to succeed almost in this, in the sense that it's just creating it's, it's, it's the problems that it's uh, sought out to fix is actually just making those problems worse because people always will just gravitate to what, they originally believed and or it's a very easy way a slippery slope for people to get into a, a a line of thinking or a line of researching that is not beneficial to their like overall viewpoint and so i've always found that it's like it's you know no different than doom scrolling on instagram or youtube shorts or whatever it is you get you find yourself three clicks and you're you're down this rabbit hole of checking especially now looking at someone this is person's verified this is got to be good information and and going oh, into it and he's believing got four it. followers yeah exactly but <laughs> so the, a frog is an <clears throat> emoji so it, there's all these positives and all and then there's all these negatives too and it's just so hard to decipher whether like what's the best format for something like this but i can't argue with this point that at the end of the day there's some there's people in the background deciding on this and and are deciding what people see and how algorithms work and how that was going to show up in your feed and yeah, I mean, obviously there's been tons of evidence and articles put out in relation to the, the suppression of certain information and the highlighting of certain information that was at Twitter, which, I mean, I guess Elon's probably denying that it's how it's set up now, but I don't I mean, trust you, anyone anymore. You, you, it doesn't really matter. That, that is the, yeah, that's yeah. a t- tough sentiment to he have. He has but. his biases and he's gone from left to right to right to left to where is he in the middle? I don't know where he's anywhere. I'll, all I will say is is that I have noticed a considerable change in sentiment amongst um, all generations. And it is intolerable. The, 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 this idea of caring about other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. All walks of life of, of feelings. I think we've, we've now exhausted our patience? Te- temperament and patience for these things, mm-hmm. which is changing the political landscape. That's all I'm willing to go, how far I'm willing to go on this. And because at the end of the day, it'll show itself in the way that politics moves and and transitions. I think Mm -hmm. the way that even reporting is going is changing. I I believe the tipping point was the war in the Middle East and Israel. And it's going to send shockwaves through North America where I always thought it was going to be the Chinese that got, got us all together. I think this is maybe showing something that is um, a dog, I shouldn't say dog whistle because that is a, presumed to be a bad thing. I believe that it's, it's bringing everyone together in a certain way. 
I think obviously the, the death of children and the death of, of women and is often something that is we all can't get behind, right? So mm-hmm. the and whether actually you know what the thing I would say like you you use the term bringing together and I I think that's the the positive <laughs> spin you can have. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to be. It's impossible to be fully aligned like that. Obviously, you're looking no. for a majority or <laughs> a strong uh, minority that can that can yeah. uh, make decisions, but. I think what uh, Barry got to in this thread, as well as some of those discussions that you you talk about, I think there's just an, a real. There's going to be a realignment of people who were previously like this are moving, and maybe the people that they were moving to are also moving some another direction. Like I think that this is a this is a um, going to be a pretty drastic change in where people identify. Yeah, if if your power centers and who delivers news is no longer in areas in which the rest of the country or the largest populations do not identify with. Yeah. It has now effectively moved to be distributed differently. Mm-hmm. Thoughts and consumption of content is going to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that is evidenced in in our pivot. So uh, I'm not saying it's good, bad, or otherwise. I don't even know. So, so the the thing that's always I like, gets great talking about this stuff on the podcast because it actually makes me and hopefully our listeners to kind of follow some of the stuff or think about the stuff a little bit more. It's like this is obvious as it's not like one day it's like this and the next day it's like this, but seeing a change in narratives over over time as a result of you know major events is such an interesting thing to follow. Because, like you said, there's going to be people who left leaning, right leaning, but then as a result of whatever they follow or whoever they follow in either entertainment or you know news, whatever it might be, changing their perspective on how they're covering something or how they've you know brought on guests or opinions or whatever it might be, and it's like, well, hold on, like I don't actually agree with that. I I agree with everything else though. So am I am I wrong or am I right? And that, that questioning mind and how that shifts things, mm-hmm. such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Because we don't, it's such a, it's a thing that you don't, it's subconscious that you go through. It doesn't matter if it's your opinion on the war in the Middle East or your opinion on real estate or your opinion on um, the carbon tax. Once things start to, again, affect number one, <laughs> yours, me, myself, and I, then. It's it's a def- totally different dynamic. Yeah, no, completely agree. So 18 months from now, we'll see what we're talking about on this podcast. Honestly, it'll <laughs> probably be inflation. Inflation, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going into this, the end of this week, do you have any recommendations for us? Um, no real recommendation. I uh, Last minute, I've talked on the podcast a couple of times to business owners and homeowners in general, actually, is obviously individuals and corporations. The underused housing tax mm. regime. So they had um, originally rolled out April 30th deadline. They pushed that back to October 31st, 2023 for the filing deadline originally. Uh, and that's essentially waiving interest and penalties as a result of the late filing is what they did. They've, as of noon yesterday, so on October 31st, they have now pushed that exemption to April 30th, 2024. So yes, that means that the deadline for both the 2022 and 2023 filings 
are both on the same date as of now in terms of your drop dead date. Obviously, my recommendation is get it out of the way early. Um, but you are going to be, if you have a house that qualifies, uh, from a filing position, uh, to reiterate what I've said before, just because you might not actually be subject to tax or to an actual liability associated with this regime, you might still have an information filing requirement. And if you miss that filing requirement, there is very, very steep penalties, talking between five and ten thousand dollars between an individual and a corporation for every underused housing tax example or ownership that you have. So please see your accountant again if you think first maybe look into it. CRA does have information online about this. But if you own a residential home that you're either renting out or you have multiple uh, residential properties that you just have personal use on still worth talking to your accountant on and making sure you got your ducks in a row. So there has been this, it was a Halloween present, I guess you could say. Um, not sure why they had to wait until October 31st at noon, the day of the deadline to announce this additional extension, but there, there has been an extension to April 30th, 2024. So make sure you're reaching out to one of your advisors to ensure that you're on side with that filing. Cause again, you're going to, if you were, if you qualify for 22, you likely qualify for 23 filing. And those are both going to be due April 30th, 2024. So for me, I'm going to recommend a book and I'm Britney Spears's autobiography. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Um, I'm just bringing it up here. Uh, the new Market Wizards I got through. I've read the old one. I'm really enjoying it. That's all I got. Give us a synopsis, Joel. <laughs> How do I put this? There are probably only about 1% of people deserve to be actively trading mm. markets. The rest of you are paying that 1%. It's kind of like sports gambling. Mm. But no one's ever going to stop because everyone always chases elitism. And this is daily. Chases the nine-leg parlay, you mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for people that trade on a day-to-day -day basis, and this is not to speak to anyone who does long-term buy and hold, three-plus-year investing, totally different game. On a on a day-to-day -day basis, if you're making your income day trading, I hope you're in the top 1%. Because if you're not, you're getting smoked. And you should read this book because it gives, gives you a feel for who you're up against. Mm. It's kind of like watching the NBA and being like, I but you have, to, yeah, <laughs> you have to be there in person to really see how much shorter you are than one being yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's fair. It's good to get perspective. So yeah. that's a book of perspective, obviously. And, you know, I'm usually someone who lacks that. So mm. anyways, good book. That's what I'm on. I really enjoyed the vape show. I double recommendation again. Mm -hmm. Um I am still blown away that they no longer really exist right now. Jewels, it's shocking to me. Anyways, that's what I got. The rise and fall. All right, happy November, everybody. Talk to you next week.